everybody wants it. Everybody realizes that KPUD has by far the most superior network in the area. I mean, it's the only 100% fiber optic network. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm on site today in the Harrison Edwards Summit Studio at the Broadband Communities uh, Summit in Houston, Texas, and having another great conversation, uh, I hope, I mean, who knows at this point. Um, We're going to be talking with Allison Kotner, the Telecom Business and Projects Manager at Kitsap Public Utility District. Welcome. Thank you. We also have Stephanie Hall, Telecom Business Development and Community Relations Specialist at Kitsap Public Utility District. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thanks. And we have Thomas Schreier, who is the Kitsap Public Utility District uh, Network Engineer. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So Kitsap is uh, is across the water, the sound, I guess, from Seattle, right? West? Yeah. Um, So Kitsap Public Utility District, um, tell me a little bit about it, and we're going to pass around, and each of you can tell me something different about it, a little Rashomon style of Kitsap Public Utilities. I think Kitsap is pretty unique because it's a a municipal telecom that's open access. Um, We have different providers and our customers seem to really like that they can choose between the different ISPs especially if like they run to a customer service issue which happens sometimes and they can switch pretty easily yeah it's pretty easy to switch it, it just takes me a few minutes to, to swap the provisioning and they're good to go from the uh, for the new ISP excellent Stephanie what, what would you add to what makes you like Kitsap uh, you know the one thing that really drew me to the Kitsap PUD is that it was really a community-owned network and really driven by the community in that, you know, when I was, you know, interviewing for the job and doing some research, I mean, I just, they, you know, they really reached out into the community, surveyed the community, and really asked, you know, what do you want, what do you need? And so, for me, that was something that I thought was really unique, having come from the wireless industry, which, as you know, is super competitive, super cutthroat, and profit-driven. That was a real appeal to me about the PUD. Excellent. And Allison, you've been there a little bit longer than uh, than these two? Yes, I've been with the PUD now for almost eight years. Um, I started off in customer service after applying for a finance job <laughs> and then went <laughs> to um, to telecom about four years ago. So that's been a whole new experience. Came from a just finance world, um, had no idea about telecom. And so it's been super cool to learn about it and especially the open access part of it. I think it's just a great uh program to be able to provide that choice and have competitive pricing for our customers. So it's interesting that you all cite the open access as an important part of it uh, in that Angela Benick, who uh, we've talked to in the past, um, your boss, she was one of the people that made sure that Kitsap uh, would have more freedom to move beyond that model. And I think there was a fear among some that the public utility districts would abandon open access. But this is a core part of your identity, it sounds like. For Kitsap, yes. Um, just because, I mean, I started off in telecom, started off in customer service, and now I've progressed through, and of course now project management, business, the whole shebang. Being one of the first people who'd hear from the customers constantly complaining about the main privates who they're like this is insane we get charged whatever we want and they're just like we need to get 
they're like we can't just have one choice because they're like they do whatever they want so having this open access has been just a huge turning point so people who actually understand the open access part they love it and they're like i think we need to just push this across and educate people and we absolutely agree so as for right now i think the educational piece will be huge to just be able to i mean because we still have to push out the information and educate arts of the uh, community so they actually understand what it is and they actually go oh because right now if since our uh, providers aren't the big names they they kind of kind of shy away from it they're like well i don't know this person so can i trust them and it's like well we are your public utility you have asked for you you petitioned our board to go we need this we need better service for our customers and so based off of their needs we made this so i can see in the future maybe we could move into a different model but for right now it's been a great thing for our customers Am I correct in thinking that with Kitsap Public Utility District, there's kind of two primary means in which you expand? One is, I think, you expand into rural areas as you're able to make the economics work and you <laughs> might get grants. <laughs> and then other areas, uh, but also could be rural, but other areas, you have a, both urban and suburban and, and rural footprints, I think, um, you uh, can be petitioned. This is wild. Yep. So tell me just briefly about that. So, yeah, so we have the two main focus. So, of course, we use capital funds to build out that middle mile infrastructure, and we focused on underserved and unserved uh, communities to be, able to, to be able to connect them. In Washington, we can be petitioned by the community. Um, so there's communities that come together, and we've had communities as small as 10 people and up to 500 properties that have petitioned us saying, hey, we need better service. And so it can actually be petitioned for any capital project. It doesn't have to just be telecom. It can be for water or anything. So uh, do they define the geography or is there some natural geography? Um, it's some natural. Um, and then there's also just we, based for telecom at least, we do it based off of who is going to be benefited from our build from our current infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Water kind of does the same so they can t- uh, include any properties within from where the current infrastructure is into the community. So if we have certain homes that are outside or that could possibly increase the cost of the community, we may exclude them from the boundary of an LUD just because it may not be cost effective for them, but they'll it'll be bring it'll bring the infrastructure that much closer to that home um, so it won't be so cost inhibiting. Okay. So they can't be too creative with how they draw it to get to that. Yeah, support. it's not the community who creates it. They work with us, and we work with them to just create. Go, okay, well, here's what we would think would be the best, just based off of who's benefiting. Um, and most of the time, they just they trust the process with us. They, of course, they have all the questions. We answer them and try to make them feel as comfortable as possible. But we are the ones who actually create. We design it. We create that boundary uh, for that LUD. Okay, so I interrupted you. You've You're had, fine. You as few as ten to five hundred properties. Yep. So right now we have the largest grant um, LUD we've had um, and it's uh, just about 500 properties that are within the boundary and they pay for it they they pay for anything outside the grant so we got a two million dollar grant for this um, and as of right now we capped their participation cost or what we call their prelim- preliminary assessment at eight thousand five hundred um, which everyone's for a lot of places they're like oh my gosh that's super expensive but um, we've had people who've paid more than that just because they're like, we need this. I remember something. This could be totally wrong. It's been a lot of years. Like north of thirty thousand for some. Yeah, I've had people just literally hand me a check for thirty thousand dollars to build to one home. It's insane. Wow. And then, do they have an option of amortizing that? Yes. So what we do is for the LUD process is homeowners are able once we've actually finalized and 
the project and we actually connect them. Um, they have an option to pay the full assessment off for within 30 days and we work with our Kitsap County uh, Treasurer's Office. Um, and then the homeowners are actually able to finance that over a 20-year term. There is interest applied to that because it's like a bond. Um, and so they can pay that off any time over the 20-year and it is guaranteed with a lien against the property. And this is something that has been done, I'm going to guess, more than 40 times at this point? Yeah, we are currently at almost 50 LUDs at this time. That's wild. Are there any other, do you have a sense of other public utility districts? I've heard of this more in Kitsap than anywhere else. We are definitely the ones driving it because we've had a lot of um, different utilities reach out to us asking about the process because they're like, we're interested, but um, I don't know if any others have actually utilized it. It's, but it's worked well for us and our customers appreciate because it, it cause we were told when we created this uh, process um, that it was like fiber for the rich. And it's like, unfortunately, it kind of is because if, if you can't afford it, you're not going to be able to get the infrastructure. So when we created this financing option for them, um, we actually created a non-contiguous LUD, which is uh, allows one a single home to be able to take that financing for 20 years. So we just try to create a mechanism to help uh, people be able to get the service as well. So if uh, if we're in a neighborhood, there's 25 homes that are super enthusiastic about it, and in the middle of them are five that don't want it. Do the five that don't want it get roped into the amortization have to pay for it? So that's the cool thing. So within that LUD boundary, um, we require at least 51% of the homes within that boundary mm-hmm. to petition the board. And then if it's 51%, our board automatically moves forward with the process of forming the LUD. Um, if it's less than that, then the, the community who is interested have to come forward and show that it's actually financially feasible for them to be able to pay for the infrastructure. Um, so it, people can opt out. But a lot of the times what we see is as soon as we start construction, we see at least 20% of people join into the project. Who originally might have said no. Yep, who, apps, who opted out. They're like, nope, this is insane. There's no way I'm paying for that. And their neighbors finally talk to them. They're like, okay. Or joining. So if I say no, and then I sell my house a year later after it's been constructed, do the new homeowners, are they able to opt in? Yes, absolutely. So we build it so every home within that ho- that community of the LUD can actually connect in the future. Do they have to pay a rate similar to what the other neighbors have paid? So this is the kicker. So this is this where... Is, this is exactly this where it gets is interesting. The, this is where it gets really interesting because we don't want the people who say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait because it's going to be cheaper for me in the future. So for an LUD, they actually have to pay that LUD assessment the final assessment amount plus additional construction to connect their home from the infrastructure. So if it's 125 feet from our infrastructure to the home, they have to pay for that plus the LUD assessment. So it uh, makes them kind of go, okay, so we always tell them if the more people who join at the beginning of the project reduces that final cost for everyone. So it kind of penalizes them for waiting, thinking that they're going to benefit from their neighbors who who took the initial cost. And the public utility district then, I think, has some extra revenue above your costs at that point. So does that go to like other builds that you're working on? Or? We do. We just add that into our capital funds so we can help extend our infrastructure. Because most of the time, those LUDs, they've actually benefited from our capital funds being able to extend that middle mile. And so we just roll that back into the capital funds so we can extend more to those areas. So Stephanie, I'm curious, all this stuff we're talking about, do you feel confident, you, both you and Thomas are newer, um, do you feel confident in like, explaining all of this to your neighbors and things like that? Uh, absolutely not. Not in, that, <laughs> not in that much detail, but I would, and we've, we have this conversation because the, our fiber is fairly close to my neighborhood, and we have one provider, and most of my neighbors, I believe, would be interested in getting on KPUD mm-hmm. fiber. So we've talked about you know, just the idea of let's get them together and you can kind of see how the process works kind of from A to Z. So in business development then, what is your primary task? 
Um, you know, so that's still evolving, I think, because it's the, it's the really the first time that the telecommunications division has brought in someone to do community relations and business development. So, mm-hmm. you know, really the first part was just kind of a crash course, like drinking from a fire hose. I think I heard, heard someone say earlier, just, you know, the acronyms, the learning about an LUD, learning where the where the fiber is, you know, the areas that we serve, you know, the benefits and all of, you know, all of that. So, I mean, I've just been doing the very typical, you know, reaching out into the community, the Economic Development Alliance, the Chamber of Commerce. Um, I've had the opportunity to work. Uh, we have a local broadband action team as part of the the bead funding. So we've been working on um, an action plan for our county, which has been an amazing opportunity to talk with our you know community partners and talk with them about broadband and availability and digital equity. Um, so and it's been a good way to kind of start to and continue to develop those partnerships. One of the things I'm curious about is uh, you're talking to a business or something like that and um, being new to this. How do you feel confident? Like, like you're going in. Are you worried that they're going to ask you things? You don't have to say, oh, I'll get back to you on this. I'll get back to you on that. Uh, you were in wireless for a while. So you, I guess you have a – because I, I keep – I'm split in my head between thinking about you as being new to the, the utility, but you have a lot of industry experience. Yeah. The, I mean, everybody wants it. I mean, everybody realizes that, I mean, KPUD has by far the most superior network in the area. I mean, it's the only 100% fiber optic network. So confident, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know that you're selling a great product. Anytime you have a quality product, it's like absolutely. You know, if they want to start talking about circuits, um, then I would bring Thomas with me Mm -hmm. (laughs) or Allison with me. What are what are some of the fun conversations you've had? Because I, I imagine you've had both weird and also like really rewarding, where people are probably showing a lot of love for KPUD. But there's some there's some that I've had fun with just over the years. With uh, like um, one that one that I'll never forget is uh, I was talking to a utility and they were talking about how their customers like the utility so much they'll offer the linemen beers. It's, and, and, and like with the tell linemen, do not <laughs> drink beers with the homeowners. <laughs> We have had uh, not not beers, but they have come out and offered our guys like drinks and like water and stuff, which yeah. is kind of nice. Yeah, yeah cookies. Yeah. That was I mean, the big one for a little bit. Better than alcoholic <laughs> beverages. <laughs> they a lot of times, especially when we're initial hookups, some of the guys will just have the customer come out and just just thank them, mm-hmm. just constantly just thank them as they're leaving. It, there was nice. a panel where they were talking about. I've heard this from other electric co-ops. There's someone who um, was greeted with a shotgun or another oh. weapon, where someone is like, "Don't come on my property." Yeah, I could definitely see that, especially once you get into the rural areas. You have to make sure that the customer knows you are coming. Mm-hmm. It's very important. Otherwise, if you just go without them knowing what, why, why are you there? There was a great story from a rural electric in uh, Virginia where they had had someone who ran them off the property, was furious with them. And they said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. We're, um, you know, we're not going to come back. And, um, and they said something like, you know, we're just going to um, – we're just going to – like just trying to do something to get the fiber optic system up, but we can go around. We don't have to do it. And the guy said, "Fiber optic? Is that internet?" <laughs> and uh, and he said, um, "I guess they called them back on the phone to tell them that they weren't going to come back, and it was fine. They found a different route." And he says, "Is that internet? I want that." <laughs> he said, "Tell them to come back in the morning. I'll have coffee for them." <laughs> but the guy had had a dispute over like tens of dollars in the past, and he was still angry at the utility, but he really <laughs> wanted internet. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Well, everyone, everyone is like really wants that internet. It, it's it's great because you, you need it to be able to like work for school all, all all these things like it's becoming an integral part of society mm-hmm. do you do home you do the home hookups then i mainly just uh do the cpe provisioning mm-hmm. uh and i do all of our core network 
Okay, uh, so you're well. mostly at a desk. Yeah, I do you spend just, most of my time at the desk. You hear from the field guys then? I do. I, I talk okay. to them daily as they're like setting everything up. Mm-hmm. They, and I, 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 I'm always aware of my gendered language because um, they're not all guys. But <laughs> um, I'm, so I'm very curious about uh, what you're actually doing then, because I feel like um, people hear the word provisioning and they're curious what that involves. So it, it's setting up the device to actually allow the internet to come, but not just any internet, but the right internet from like the the service, the correct service provider, mm-hmm. making sure that the right speed is constantly going through from beginning to end. Uh, that way, that they're not having any issues like loading a video or anything like that. And you're using an active Ethernet. Um, we are all active Ethernet. Okay. Uh, I have looked in the GPON, but uh, we haven't we haven't made any decisions on that yeah. yet. Well, I think at this point, XGS pond would be a smart for Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but that so then when someone calls in and they're saying I want to go from provider A to provider B, then what do you actually have to do? So for me, it's just going in uh, to the CPE. I just remove the the old configurations that and were for that customer premise equipment. That Co- is yeah. Like, customer so premise equipment. Or, um, they also have ONT, which is the optical uh, network terminal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that one. So that was actually a new term. Both of those are new terms for me when I started working here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that took me a while. Cause at first it was like, Oh, CPE. And then all of a sudden someone was like, Oh, ONT. And I was like, Oh no, which one is right. which? And right. I figured out, Oh, they're just the same. Well, the ONT <laughs> is a subset of CPE cause you could have other stuff at the home. Oh, too. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so basically it's like a little computer on the side of the home or inside yeah. the home now, I guess. Yeah, we do all of ours on the outside. That oh, we way. do? Okay. Yeah, so, and then we, the ISP then connects to that, and they do all their home, all the stuff on the inside They of the get home. to drill into the wall. They, yeah, we do have to drill one time, though, for power. Sure. <laughs> I, I take off uh, the old configuration for that ISP, for the previous ISP, and then I will take and reset the CPU because I want to make sure that it actually fully resets. It drops all of the old information. And then I'll go in and I'll put the new configurations in for the new ISP. And as soon as I'm done, I just check to make sure that they have a MAC address coming across and it's actually making it all the way through our network. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, they're good. And I'll sign the, uh, the contracting coups. Okay. So in, you use the, the coups system, which yes. sometimes people call COS. But COS, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, do you still do the, um, I'll probably come back to Allison here, do you still do the service zones and uh, things like that? Or how do you work with communities uh, to identify... Um, I mean, I guess it's a different question, which is um, they have a service zones project product mm-hmm. to help identify demand. Do you use that or do you use other systems? So we have used that. Angela was the one who really set up the COS system originally when I first started. Um, and of course, we were such a small group. We weren't able to stay on top of it as much as we'd like. Mm-hmm. So that is actually what Stephanie and I are working on right now. We're working with COS and we're creating those zones so we can better provide that information to our customers so they understand, hey, this is an area that can be built. But that way it can drive our LUDs and Instead of the community coming to us, we can go, hey, we've we've established this zone and this would be a great utility project. Like, let's move forward. So let's get 60% interest and then let's build it for you. Have you had an issue with um, uneven demand? Like, I mean, I can imagine all of a sudden one summer you have like people are like, let's do 10 of these things. And they're going and then and then, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out how to staff correctly to get all this done. I got to tell you, Angela and I were going crazy when it was just the two of us. And of course, we've got to hire a new staff. Um, and of course, with her moving to the general manager position now, it's we're just trying to fill those gaps as well. But um, yeah, I mean, every year, I mean, every month there's a different influx of whether it can have a lull. And then you're like, oh, you're like, is something happening? Like and then all of a sudden you have 10 customers that just hit you. They're like, I'm ready to connect. And you're so it's just them getting the educational piece. And of course, we give them an estimate request when they send one in and then they have to ask their questions and then they go, yep, I need this right now. 
Excellent. Now, Stephanie, I, one of the things I want to ask you and Thomas both was how you got up to date. So we're going to come back in a second to the ONT and all that. But what are some of the things that were different from the wireless world that you had to learn? You know, I thought going into it, I thought that they were more similar um, my <laughs> than, colleague, they, than they actually are. My colleague Rye, who joined us and uh, and uh, does uh, leads our research team, he uh, was a, um, a professor uh, in American history, and he was a very big enthusiast in tech. And he thought it's going to be have an edge. And he said that he found that also was more challenging to get into the broadband world and figure it all out. I mean, I I was ready to quit a month in with just trying to figure out a CLEC and ILEC and all this other stuff. The telecom language very hard for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think for, you know, for me, the big difference is, you know, it's the putting it, the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I mean, you actually have to build the infrastructure and you have to build, you know, the infrastructure to the home. You know, wireless, you go to the store, you buy a phone and, you know, of course there's infrastructure too. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the time, you know, I got into it, you know, the towers were already there. So, I mean, I think it's just that whole construction piece was so new to me. And so that was a huge learning curve for me is, you know, you look at a neighborhood and it's like, there's demand. It's like, we need to deliver because Mm -hmm. that's what you do in wireless. It's like, you know, you have a customer, there's a business customer. And it's so funny because I kept going to Allison. I'm like, well, we can do this, right? Like, how do we do this? And she's like... Yeah, but there are 10 steps before we can actually offer service. So I think that was probably the biggest learning curve for me is like getting my mind around there is construction that's required. There's infrastructure required. There's a lot of planning Mm -hmm. that's required. There's communication that's required. Um, before services actually delivered to the customer. We talk about that on the Connect This show, where uh, the difference between wireless and, and fiber optics, and uh, the wireless is kind of like, um, and Matt Larson says this, uh, is like a regulatory avoidance, You because you don't have to pull permits, you know, you're not, you're not digging up the streets, you're not um, trying to get on poles, <laughs> and so it is a, it's a whole different world, and a lot of that is outside your time frame, too. You're relying on others, so uh, yeah, I can see how that would be challenging. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely um, an industry where there are a lot more partners involved, whereas wireless, I mean, you're just, you're a single operator. I mean, you're just kind of doing business on your own. At least that's the way it appeared where this, you, I mean, it definitely requires, you know, that you have those community partnerships. And so, Thomas, how have you um, dug into this too? You're actually having to configure the system, so I feel like there's two possibilities. Like, I think you might be thinking, wait, is this something where the machine is broken, or am I just not understanding this route? <laughs> so, yeah, we, we've had some issues, especially when I first started working with uh, STP. We didn't have STP at all on the network. When I don't I, know what STP is. So, STP is a spanning tree protocol. It is uh, used to prevent loops within a network, um, which is very important because you want your traffic to go one way, mm-hmm. so that way that the traffic doesn't collide, and then all of a sudden your customer is down and not being able to connect to the internet. Um, yeah, they, we really needed that because it provides redundancy for your network, which is hugely important. You want So if one part of your network, like a fiber goes down in one spot, you can that customers stay up over here because there's a separate route that keeps them okay. going. So that was one issue then. That, that was a that was a pretty big issue. I just recently got our, our core network um, set up to actually have it, and within a week we had a huge fiber break, what had caused four hundred customers, more than four hundred customers, to go down, um, but they didn't. Only one customer went down. So did you tell Angela that that you're taking an afternoon off because you'd already <laughs> <laughs> you were so productive that day. I was very proud of that day. That was a, that was a good moment right there. That's excellent. So before you were doing that, was there was that just not something that was being done, or how the, did it work? 
so the previous engineer was planning it. Um, unfortunately, wasn't able to implement it before he left. Okay. And so I, I just took up the project and uh, I, I just worked through it really hard. Uh, I had a lot of experience with STP when I was in the military. I used it all the time just when we were setting up our networks. So that was, so it was something I knew. I just needed it was different because it was an active network. Setting up on an active network is a lot more nerve-wracking because one little typo could bring everything down for like two, three hours while you're mm-hmm. fixing it because typo sometimes is so hard to find. Yes, especially when it's your own. Yes. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my limited exam, uh, work with zone DNS, I, I feel like I'm always physically sweating whenever I'm working with that. Um, <laughs> so um, DNS zones, I should say, I think. Um, shows how often I work with it. Um, are there other things where you've had to come up to speed? I mean, like, you know, coming in with uh, network engineering from the military, like, do you have a sense of, like, what it's like working for a public utility district and that sort of thing? So it was a big jump, like a big change for me because it's open access, it was less security-based because with the military ones, I had to have lots and lots of different levels of security on top of the network. Well, this one, we have the, the security necessary to protect the customers, but I don't have to like worry about getting a SAT link up that has uh, crypto going across it. Mm-hmm. Still pretty important, but a little less pressure. A lot less pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like we have a problem with leakers coming out of the military and uh, <laughs> challenges around those areas. So. Oh man, that one I was—I kind of facepalmed when I saw that recent one. I was like, I can't believe that. <laughs> yes. As this is being built out, how will you know that it's successful? Uh, like, what is a measure that you have for knowing that this has been a wise move for KPUD? Well, when I started Telecom, we were at um, 200 customers. And we are now at 1650, which is small compared to the, some of the other providers and networks that are here. But for us, that's a huge goal. I mean, for being such a small team, I mean, we have six installers right now, which when I started, there was three. And um, so I think that's a huge success. We're starting to get our name out there. With our uh, new hires, we'll be able to be able to push that out and educate the community that much more. So we'll, I would be totally supportive of the privates if they actually took and upgraded their infrastructure to provide better service, mm-hmm. but they're not. So they're coming to us as a public utility going, you need to help fix this. And so if I say that we have 1,650 customers happy and connected right now, that's a win. And I, I hope that we can get tens of thousands more here with, and with the help of grant funding and help reduce their, their construction cost. I, I think we'll, that's, that's all we care about. And because of your model, you don't really have that pressure of saying we have a 40% take rate right. or whatever because the infrastructure is paid for in the way that you build it. Yep. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a matter of like connecting people, you know, connected, Kitsap County. I mean, I think that's kind of what we all want. And that's kind of the discussion here, you know, this week is talking about, you know, getting people connected. And, you know, I think, you know, to Allison's point, I think the education is a huge piece of it and the community engagement. So just so that all Kitsap County residents know that KPUD is an option if they want fiber and that they understand how to go about getting it. And I think those are the, you know, would be kind of the key things that you know just make sure that it's a household name so when they see when they see a kpd truck they're like hey you know they deliver water as well as fiber internet excellent any other measures of success thomas we didn't have a very good documentation um in inside of the devices on like the port descriptions as well as an actual um network diagram so that was something i i I put together and worked really hard to do and i got nice this nice this nice big diagram now that shows me all my switches and how they connect and what buildings they're in. I got it all nice and set up. 
And uh, I also went through and I cleaned up all those configurations uh, that were old or just wrong descriptions. And now everything, it it's, makes it much easier for me to be able to navigate through my own network and be able to troubleshoot quicker. Yeah, it's definitely a, a result of, of being uh, understaffed and trying to make it work. But uh, I feel like a lot of people feel like documentation is something you can do tomorrow. But uh, I'm glad you got it done. Never. I, documentation is a big thing. That was something I learned in the military. Documentation, documentation, documentation. Yeah. Well, that's something I think a lot of folks come to only after they've missed a lot of opportunities to do the documentation. Uh, so thank you all. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.